From the summit in Tucson, Arizona, the core presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Brian Clute and Chris Hayes. Today's topic, Dr. Nurse for Lender Teams doing 15 deals or less. So welcome to the second class of the second day. Raise your hand if this is your first summit ever. Uh, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you've been here t- previously. Wow, so there's only like four people. All right, so this is really, really, really cool. So the name of this class is Dr. Nurse, Small Team, and Small Team is defined as less than 15 closings a month. Is anybody here averaging 15 or more closings a month? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Everybody's in the right place. That's awesome. In the back, I want you to write this down right away. As you are thinking about all the things that Chris and I are going to talk about today, if the only thing that you walked out of here today with, in terms of a philosophy and a practice, is this idea of delegate to elevate. Delegate to elevate. What it simply means is this. You cannot get to another stage in your career until you learn how to delegate. And in doing so, you elevate yourself and you elevate your team members. So, Chris and I have been, Chris, how many years for you in the Corps? Seven and a half. Seven and a half, seven. So we've got 14 years worth of like living, breathing DNA. It's like part of our blood, LP1, LP2. So we are super excited. This is, by the way, the first time that we've ever taught this class to only new people. This class used to be people that are brand new and other people, and, and, and it was, it was uh, joined with the, those that we call repeat offenders. They're coming to the class again and again and again. So our mission is that you guys get this class, you walk out of here, you get it, and you never have to go to a small team class again. So anyway, with that said, uh, I would like to introduce you to like one of the greatest men that I know. Uh, Chris Haynes and I have known each other for about seven and a half years. He's from Nashville, Tennessee. Are you like specifically Nashville? Yeah, I'm 20 minutes outside of Nashville, so okay. you can so tell in my voice and my, my accent. He's really hard to understand sometimes, but just know <laughs> whatever he says is really smart and it comes from the heart, okay? Um, Chris has got a fantastic team. He's got a fantastic business. The thing that I love the most about Chris is that Chris has taken these things that we've learned in the core, and he has used this to be able to improve his life and have an incredible life balance. Because at the end of the day, like the thing about me is, yeah, I want to make more money. Yeah, I want to save more money. I want to give more money. But if I don't have a quality of life, we've got a problem, right? And Chris is one of these guys that, for me, has been able to check me as a man and as a friend to make sure that I'm doing both of those. So give it up. Introduction to Mr. Chris Haynes. Thanks, man. Awesome, guys. Um, thanks for having us. Super excited about teaching this. Uh, like he said, you should never be in this class again because we want you to get out of the small team mode and into a bigger team mode. Um, but what I'm going to do today, guys, I'm going to start with a Bible verse. I always start uh, a lot of my things that I do with my team, a lot of things I do with uh, realtors uh, with a Bible verse. And today it's Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So uh, when I go to work, I really try to live that out. And, um, you know, I have a boss. I have Rick. I have, um, you know, things that I have to, to live up to. But, man, if you'll work as to God, everything else is going to take care of itself. All right. So my story, guys, on team. I got in the core in 2011. 
the market was really weird, similar to today. It's a little weird. Uh, all the changes had started happening in um, uh, GFE changes and comp changes. All that stuff was going on back then. I got in the core, and I remember Jim Reed said, Chris, you've got to hire. And I was like, no, Jim, I'm, I came here to do more business. I didn't come here to get more overhead. Right? Anybody ever feel like that? Like, I don't want the overhead. I don't want the responsibility of more people. And Jim said, no, no, you have to hire. So finally, after like two months of telling me that, uh, I did hire. And who thinks my first hire was awesome? <laughs> I heard that. It was like one of the worst ever. Uh, but you know what we did when I hired that first person? We did more business. Because I had somebody else that could answer the phone. I had somebody else that could run a credit report. I had somebody else that could send a fax. I guess we still sent fax or maybe scans, whatever we were doing back then. Uh, but just by hiring somebody really bad... I did more business, okay? So I think we got to get out of the fear, because I had a lot of fear. I was like, man, I have really low overhead. I've got one processor and some rent, and I don't have a lot of, lot of lot to worry about. Um, then I had, had my second person in February of 2012. The first person didn't, didn't work out. Uh, and that person's still with me today. She's awesome. She really helped my business, and uh, she's one of the top people in my office. So, um, you know... That happened, and it, it taught me, hey, i got to grow. Now we have 14 people on staff. we got three loan officers and me, so we got four loan officers. Um, but my team also has been through ups and downs. So that happened. We were doing really well. And then in 2016, uh, my brother's top guy's team captain at the time, passed away two years ago. Um, we moved our office, went to a new office space. One of my top people left. Uh, another um, team member uh, that was a processing manager, she left. So, like, our top three people in a six-month span were no longer on the team. Anybody else, uh, Brian, have you had team problems where it kind of crashes and burns for a short period? Never. He said he's different. He's <laughs> never had that. Uh, we all have had that. And um, you go through those down cycles, but then you come back on the other side, and you realize how important your team is. So, going from a really small team, who in here is working over 50 hours a week? I was working 60-plus hours a week uh, back then. And, you know, it just is what it is, right? And I didn't realize you could get out of that. So now that I have a bigger team that's doing great for me, like I have not dealt with a single problem this week. Now I've, had, I've checked my email and made sure things are going on at night, uh, but I have not had to call in and deal with a single problem. Who here has not had to deal with a single problem this week while they've been here at the summit? Good. We have a few hands. So you do have somebody back taking care of some stuff. Uh, so that's what we want to get you to today is get you to that place where you can do that. So... Real quick, I want to talk about um, the number one class objective for me. We talked about a little bit delegate and elevate, but also we want to get you out of the fear mode. Who's in a little bit of fear mode about hiring a bigger team? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think everybody is. The market's not great. What's going to happen in the next four months? Can I hire these people? Will my company let me hire that? We want to get you out of that mode because in order to grow, you have to have bandwidth. You have to have people that can do that. So around your table real quick, share what your fear is. Uh, everybody share, start with the shortest hair first. What's your biggest fear about hiring uh, a ne- your next team member? We're going to come back to your fears that you just talked about. So hopefully you got a couple and they're pretty much all the same, I think. There's probably three or four different ones that we all have. So Brian, he didn't get to introduce himself, so I'm going to talk about him a little bit. Been in the course seven years, been a coach for five, five of them. So he's two years and immediately became a coach. Uh, great family man, puts his family first. Um, and he has an awesome team. 
I think, and I don't know if he wants me to say this, but I think he spent a ton of time at the lake house and worked from his lake house this summer with his, his daughters. Uh, like 47 days that he worked from there. Can you do that if you don't have a great team? No, right? You have no trust. You want to get in there and control everything. So to be able to do that is a great testament to his team and his, uh, his ability to uh, build teams. So, uh, Brian, uh, take us away. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right, guys. So, listen, uh, we talked about fears a couple minutes ago. What I want you guys to understand is that the reason, as we spoke of, what was the, what's the phrase we started out with? Oh, my gosh, you guys are, come on, let's do it again. Delegate to elevate, right? So the first question that I want to ask is this. What is it that you are doing in your business right now that you shouldn't be doing? Now, the little caveat or asterisk next to it is this. I know that there's reasons you're not doing them. That's not the question I'm asking. But what are you doing right now that you shouldn't be doing? Okay, so let's just shout out a couple ideas. Uh, right back here. Conditions, all right? Conditions on files, exactly. Keep going. Email. Oh, my gosh, email. What's that? Answering your phone, right? So Ole talked yesterday. Does anybody remember how much... In- what the interruption time is for every time you stop something and start something? 17 minutes, 13 minutes? By the way, do you know that, there, that uh, just a tangent on that, there's been a study that says that when you get interrupted and you go back, that 13 minutes, your IQ actually goes down, and it's actually the equivalent of smoking weed. <laughs> like, I'm totally serious. So if you get rid of your email, you're going to get smarter. Over here, what do you guys have? Jeff, what are you doing right now that you should not be doing? Okay, give me new stuff. Something. Yes. Packaging files. Okay, here. Pre-approving borrowers. Working on that actual pre-approval, right? Okay. This table, one thing. Verification of employments. Oh, my gosh, you're not being paid to do VOEs? Really? How about this one? Locking loans. Taking an application. Over here. Come on, guys. You do. Running credit. Like, the list could, we could literally sit here for about an hour and a half and go on and on and on and on, right? So what I want you guys to think about is this. Delegate to elevate means simply this. You are delegating everything you can possibly delegate to elevate yourself to the point where you're only doing three things. And this is a little bit of a test. I want to see, for those of you, you're all here at the core for the first time, what are the three things that we should be doing? Lead generation. Managing the team and managing the money. Those are the only three things that we should be doing. Now, you're not going to walk out of this class and have that all figured out. It takes a long time. I'm still working on it. Chris is still working on it. But the point, of, the point that I'm trying to emphasize here is that the navigation, the transition to go from I am here working. I mean, most of you are over 50 hours a week. Anybody more than 60? Anybody more than 70? I mean, this is like therapy. Like, just be open and honest, right? 60 plus hours a week. I had a student years ago, brand new student. He came into level three coach and I said, when was the last time you took a vacation? And he said, never. And I said, when was the last time you took a day off? And he said, when I was in high school. Like seriously, delegate to elevate. So you can't get from I'm working 60 hours a week to I, I, I can work 40 some days at my lake house this summer just overnight. It's a slow process. But I want to bring, I want to bring back things back just for a minute, and I want to share with you guys where I was. So Chris talked about that point. You know, I got to a point where I was so frustrated because I had one team member that I thought the team member sucked, 
that I just got to a stage and I'm like, screw it. I, nobody can do it as good as me. I can do it all. Anybody been there? Be honest, right? I did it for three days and I'm like, I got this. I own this. Until a 4.30 closing showed up and my borrower showed up with a personal check because I forgot to tell him that that didn't work. And I'm like, this is completely crazy. The problem is I didn't have a roadmap, and I, all, I, all I did is I just I tried figuring it out on my own. It wasn't until I found the core that I learned the things we're going to share with you guys today. So what I want to do is I want to do some table work. And I don't want to talk about the things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. I want to talk about this. Why haven't you hired somebody to do the things that you're doing why haven't you done that? So now we're getting into the, to the fear base, right? Be honest. We cannot get to a place to help you until you have an accurate assessment of where you are right now. So take three minutes at your table, go around the table, share one reason, and then what we're going to do is we're going to come back and I want to hear the best answer from each table, the most honest answer, okay? I think our best answer was we're afraid of the cost and the cost of lost business if we make a bad hire. Okay. If you make a bad hire, it's going to cost you business. You're going to lose business. You're going to go backwards. Okay? Good. Uh, we talked about the cost of the training and the time as well. So it's not only just a, a monetary cost, but actually pulling yourself away and then teaching the delegation and the training and all that stuff. And then if they don't work out. Okay. All right. So you're doing the work, now you've got to stop all the stuff you're doing already, and you've got to add more work to it, which is going to take from 60 hours a week to 70 hours a week, right? Okay, cool. I guess we're going to echo all of that, um, hiring the wrong person, uh, training the person that is there, and um, actually giving up a little bit of the control that we currently have oh. and handing it over to that individual. Thank you for being completely brutally honest. We are all control freaks, amen? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm having trouble just training the ones I have right now, let alone hiring someone else, like them following the directions that I give them. Okay. All right. Having a tough time. Can't figure it. Don't know how to train them now. Why would I add more people? Uh, we were just saying fear of cost, period. You know, like uh, obtaining more overhead yeah. and what if loans slow down. If I yeah. add more people to my team, it's going to cost me money which means yeah. less in my pocket. I'm trying to go the other direction. Which right? I know is not it's, not, it's supposed to make you more money, but that's just, and if, no, all we're talking about is like being truthful, like what's the honest fear? So that I thank you for being honest about that. This table here. Um, so you hire somebody and it takes longer to teach them how to, I can do it faster myself. Oh, I can do it faster than myself. Yeah. <laughs> faster myself. I can do it. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Um, everybody said exactly the same things we said, but um, I think just, the general fear of hiring somebody that's not capable or willing or just not being a good candidate, a good employee at that position. Yeah, which is another way of saying nobody can do it as well as I can, right? I kind of feel like it's a little bit of a free fall, you know, like when you jump off the bungee thing, you know. Yeah. Like, what, how do you go from being a producer, a working mortgage loan officer to all of a sudden paying the money to get a team member okay. to all of a sudden kind of spend, like, like someone so said what's here. The, what's the fear? Spending that money, like spending the money. Okay, yeah. that's the fear, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
two more. I need help uh, with somebody pre-approving my borrowers, like guidelines, and I have a fear that they'll send a pre-approval out there. They're one of my realtors who goes out every Sunday and spends time away from their family, and then we can't get the deal so done. They're going to make a mistake. It's going to hurt your business. Yep. And you're going to lose business because of it. Is there anything else, anybody, anything new at that table? Okay, cool. We got it. So all the fears, right? Let's go over it. Fear of it's going to be a cost, losing business. I don't have the time to train people. I'm going to hire the wrong person. I'm going to lose control. I can't manage what I already have. How could I manage having somebody else? I can do it faster and better than anybody else. I'm, a, I'm afraid of taking the leap. They might screw up the, the loan and, and uh, lose this business. Okay? All right. Here are, here are the truths. Okay? Um, I'm gonna t- let's just kind of ping back and forth as we, as we t- take these through. Okay? Rule number one. The f- biggest fear that I hear from most people is I can't, do it, I can't hire somebody because... They can't do it as well as I can. Here's the truth. You're right. The second truth is this. Did you know this stuff when you were seven years old? So you learned it. So they can learn it. So here's what I'll tell you. We can get people to take these things and do it about 80% as well as we can. And if, if we can get them up to 80% as, as good as we can do it, that's good. That's good enough. And here's what I will tell you. When you bring that person in and you've gone through the process of getting them trained, what you will find is that 80% of the time, they do it better than you. What's your superpower? We talked about it before. Three things. You guys are salespeople. Lead generation. You're not DOE experts. You're not application takers. You're not paper pushers. 80% as good as you is good enough. And then 80% of the time, they'll be better than you. Right? Yeah, I mean, and to piggyback on that, um, you know, who in here likes paperwork? I don't see it. I got one guy, he's kind of joking. So, none of us do, right? But there are people in the world, believe it or not, that are good at paperwork. So, um, I think the sales aspect, yes. It's going to be really hard to hire somebody that's as good as you at sales. Right. You're in the top one percent, top five percent for sure in our industry in sales. You're not going to hire somebody off the street and pay them a salary and then be as good as you. I promise you they can send a fax just as good. All right. Or scan or whatever. Right. They can package up a loan to send it to underwriting better than we can. So I think we got to get out of that. And uh, guys, who did the, um, the the dollar per hour that you make? Did, did you all do that? Everybody did that exercise. What was it? I want you to write it down real quick. Write down what you make per hour. When you work, it's what you make this year divided by 40 hours a week divided by 50 weeks a year, two weeks vacation. This is going to be a really quick, good exercise. So what you're going to make divided by how many hours you work per week and then divide that number by number of weeks in a year. Okay? What you're currently doing right now. So if you're going to make $100,000 divided by 50 hours a week divided by 40. So who's got some numbers? $146 an hour? Cool. 192 an hour. Cool. Um, what can you hire somebody to package a loan together and stack it and put papers in order for? Fifteen twenty dollars an hour. So you're making 192 dollars an hour. Yet how much work do we do in a week? Of fifteen dollar an hour work. There's nothing wrong with fifteen dollar an hour work, but you should not be doing fifteen dollar an hour work. I do fifteen dollar an hour work. I still do some, but most of that has been delegated. All right, and then the average salesperson, how much are you selling 
the average in the, in the loan, loan industry is five hours a week of selling. In this room, it's hopefully more. The goal is like 20. So if you're selling 20 hours a week and working 40, double your hourly rate when you're selling. You guys, Chris, the, the huge, huge takeaway, any one of those things that you guys just all dumped out before as to the things that you're currently doing that you shouldn't be doing, replace yourself in that, replace another person in that formula and say, like, give, somebody give me an example. What's your hourly wage? Jeff, what'd you get? $100 an hour. Would you pay anybody $100 an hour to do any of the things that we just talked about? Well, then why are you doing it? Think about that. You're paying yourself $100 an hour to do all that, right? Yeah. So, guys, let's hit a couple of these. Fear of losing business. Okay? If I hire somebody, I'm going to lose business. Um, how much business are you losing by spending 10 hours a week not going after new business? Right? That was my fear, too. Like, oh, no, I'm going to hire people, and they're going to mess it up, and I'm going to lose business. But as soon as I hired, I made a terrible hire. All, I mean, just bad. It was not good. And I did more business because I was answering the phone less. I had somebody else that could run a credit report. Like, running a credit report takes a few minutes. Running DO, that's 15 minutes, right? You get that off your plate. Now you have 15 minutes to go after um, other business, right? So you just got to get out of that. I promise you, you will not lose business when you hire people. Yes. Um, anybody ever watch The Profit? Raise your hand. Profit. If you don't watch The Profit on CNBC, raise your hand. Start watching it. Marcus Limonis is a billionaire. He comes into businesses and he says, he looks at it and says, I can fix it. Guy knows what he's talking about, right? And the, it, there's two outcomes in the show. One of them is he steps in, the owner surrenders control and says, you know better than I do. I called you because I'm broken. You're smart and, and you fix it. And the outcome is always that the business turns out what? They, they blow up. A, that's a good way. That's a phrase in the core. We call it blowing up. They expand they, and everybody's happy. The business owners that fail are the ones that do what? I know better. You're wrong. Because they don't want to give the control up. Well, if you, if, you, if you want to be a control freak for the rest of your life, you're going to stumble because you're struggling with yourself all the time. Okay? The other piece I would say in all of this, guys, is this. This is like this huge epiphany. You want to write this down. Everything that you're fearful of that you talked about, why you don't want to hire a person, is because this. You don't yet have the leadership skills. Everything we do is a learned skill. Leading people, hiring people, managing people, holding them accountable. Those are all skills that you learn. Any musicians in the room? No musicians. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, your name? What do you play? Play the violin. Okay. So the first time you picked up your violin, how old were you? Piano. How old were you? Six. And so you were like Ishtak Perlman within weeks, right? No, it was a struggle. Every t you started and it was a struggle. But you kept going because you knew that there was an end in sight. Guys, these are the skills that Chris and I have learned. I will say this. When I started off, I would have said, I'm the worst manager in the world. I cannot lead people. It's just because I didn't know the skills. That's all it is. Skill development is what we work on to the point where now we understand how to hire people. So we're going to talk about some of that. Yeah, and, and just to touch on all this, guys, like, um, you know, I can do it faster and better. Yes, you can. Right? 
But you only have, even if you want to work 60 or 70 hours a week, that's all you got. When you hire somebody else that has another 40 hours a week, even if it takes them twice as long, you make, you know, 10 times more money on an hourly basis than you're paying them. So, yes, at first you can do it faster and better, but they can learn to do it 80% as well. And some of the stuff they can do 120% as well as you can. They might mess up a loan. Yep, they might. Or you can continue doing five loans a month perfectly. Who wants to grow out of that? Because that's where I was when I got in the core. I was doing six loans a month. And I do look back at those times like, man, I always feel like everybody was happy. And yes, problems happen, but I always took care of them because I'm a sales guy. And I know how to fix the problem. But I could keep doing six loans a month perfectly. Or I can trust somebody else and they'll drop the ball and I'll train them on it. Train them up. Make them better. Okay. And real quick, I want to touch on... Um, who knows what this looks like or what does this look like to you guys? Production, the roller coaster, right? This is where you're doing activities that take you up to, you know, if you're by yourself, you can, I remember doing 10 or 12 loans a month, one or two months. And then the next month I'm at four, I'm back up to 10 and I'm back down to two. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody experience that in this room? I call it the roller coaster, right? So what are you doing that gets you to 10 or 12 loans a month? Right. What? What was it? Prospecting, making phone calls, meeting clients, talking to realtors. Then you get 15 loans in the pipeline and you really don't have much help. Maybe a processor, but you're doing all the client contact. You're chasing conditions. Right. So then what do you start doing? All the other stuff y'all just said. Processing loans, chasing conditions. That's activity B. And then what happens to your loans when you start doing that? You're closing. You're having a really good month. And the next month you spent the whole month, you didn't prospect, your leads went down. Two months later, you're back down here. And then you've got to go back up and do it again. So what we want to get you out of, guys, have somebody else do all the B activities. So you get up to 10 or 12 loans a month. And like, wow, I still have time. Let me get off this roller coaster and go up here. Right? And then maybe you have to hire somebody else again. And you go up here. And you just keep building that, if that makes sense. Is that a good visual? Everybody's experienced the, the, the roller coaster, right? I hate the roller coaster. It hurts my stomach. <laughs> so let's let's do an exercise. Now, it, it, what we wanted to do in the start of the class, and like my coaching style is, I believe that people change because there's two ways to get changed. Like I can either beat you over the head and tell you what to do, and you're just going to cry, or I can help you shift your perspective on things, and you see things in a little bit different way, and you see it in a different way, and you get that epiphany. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't really. Has anybody had any of those at, the, at this at this event so far? Raise your hand. Total perspective change. I'm about to blow your mind. Go to page 146. 146. All right, let me give you the heads up. Here's what we know. And we've been studying this stuff for years. The average loan officer that is working a true 40-hour week can close about 8 to 10 loans a month. Okay? I'm not even going to debate that or to argue it because I know it's a fact. 40 loans a month, and that's about where they're going to cap out. Okay? You're working a 40-hour week. So let's do this. Just for fun, if you had half of your week given back to you, you had 20 hours a week that somebody came in and stepped in and did all those other things, and you had nothing, like your calendar just got cleared, like four hours a day, what would you do with that? Prospecting, right? Okay, so here's the question. I want you guys to give me the answer. I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to give me the answer. If you had 20 hours a week, to do nothing but prospect every single week like clockwork. How many leads could you generate? Just shout out some numbers. 70 a week? 
Five a week. Come on, others. 25 a week. So about one an hour? 20. Is it fair to say that if you got on the phone for 20 hours a week, you could get one lead an hour? Okay, let's go with 20. So here's what I want you guys to do. Your success formula says on the page, A, if I had 20 hours a week, I could generate an additional lease per week. I want you to write the number 20. B, we're going to take that number and we're going to multiply it by 50 weeks. So we're going to assume that you actually get a couple weeks of vacation. How many leads have we generated in the year? Okay, everybody got it? 1,000 leads. All right, in the core, as a general rule of thumb, a general rule of thumb, for every lead that I bring in to the funding, like closing table, cash in the check, about 20% of the loans are actually going to fund. Okay? It's about 20. So, everybody with me? How many closings per year? Okay, now the next you guys have to do on your own. D, your average loan size. So write that in. E, what's your comp plan? How many BIPs are you paid? F, what is your average commission per deal, which is your loan size times your BIPs? And then G, if you have 200 of those loans, how many, how much are you going to make in the next year with this magic formula of having 20 hours? Does anybody need clarification on that formula? Pretty simple, right? I've heard a wow. I'm seeing big smiles in people's faces. I'm seeing hope. I'm seeing dreams come true, right? Guys, when I first came to my first summit, I sat down with a coach and he said, I want you to fast forward. I want you to take you through this journey. I want to take you to 2018. And he asked me questions and he said, where are you? And I said, I'm on my lake house. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm spending time in the summer with my daughters, who at the time were nine and six. And he said, what else are you doing? And I said, I'm going to be going on college tours because I've got a great team in place. Well, guess what? It's 2018, 2019. All those things are coming true. And it's because of this. So I want to hear your numbers. What did you guys come up with? Just shout out some numbers. Additional income. How much? 840,000. Here. A million bucks. A million fifty. 1.35. I mean, seriously, think about this. Look at that number and then think about this. Guys, you see this list that we talked about? This is BS. You know what BS stands for? Your belief system. (laughs) Your belief system, your current belief system is costing you the number on your page. You continue to believe that stuff, and that's what you're losing. That's what you're leaving on the table. Have I changed your perspective? At the bottom of the page, it says, no more excuses commitment. I, state your name, acknowledge that all of the BS excuses I have made for not hiring is costing me blank dollars per year in income. I commit to no more excuses moving forward. I will find, hire, and train by this date. If I don't do it, I will get to consequences. We'll we'll come back to this. What we're going to do now is we're going to transition, and Chris is going to talk about the basics of what an LP2 is, 
the who, what, where, when, and why, and give you guys some specific tactics. Okay? Delegate awesome. to what? Delegate. All right. Awesome, man. That, that, hopefully that opened everybody's eyes, right? And I want you to be careful of this mindset. This is something I heard a long time ago, uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of it. Uh, have you ever been in a place where you're like, you don't say it out loud and you never like admit it, but in the back of your mind, you really don't want more business because you can't handle it, right? The phone ringing that's a lead is like, oh my goodness, I don't have time for this lead. I'm dealing with a problem. The loan's on fire. And it goes to voicemail and sits there for four hours and you call them back and they've already done something else, right? So you got to be aware of that mindset. And the reason is because you're doing all the work, right? So if getting more loans did not create more work for you, would, you, would it be easier to go get more loans, right? Who enjoys like having coffee with a realtor and selling a loan to a client, sitting with a client consulting? Does everybody enjoy that? It's the favorite part of my job. Anybody like fighting with underwriting? No, no hands went up. So find other people that can do that, okay? Um, so who in here, real quick, has a team of at least one person? Cool. So we got people with teams. Who has two, two or more? Good. So who in here has a team of no one, just themselves? Okay. So the first hire, guys, um, and, and you guys that are in here, the first hire in the core is the LP2, okay? That is going to be a direct submit. That's what the LP2 or that's what the core is going to with LP2s. And that is where we're combining your LP2 and your processor. So um, there will be some more stuff coming out on that. But if you have a processor and an LP2, uh, the core is going to be teaching to go just to the LP2 to take it from contract to close. Okay, so that's called a direct submit. This is your first hire. In my opinion, that person has to have experience. If you're on your own and you're going to hire somebody with no experience, you're going to do all their work. Right. And that's my opinion on it. It has to be a current processor, somebody with at least two or three years experience. Uh, I have made the mistake when I was smaller. When you get bigger, you can hire people with no experience because your team can help train them. Right. But when you're small and working 60 hours a week, you can't dedicate 20 hours a week to train somebody who doesn't know what an FHA loan is. Okay. So number one, they have to have experience. Um, I like to have somebody that has at least two years. And um, what I do, I like to try to get these folks from like title reps. Ask your title reps. Ask your mortgage insurance folks. Okay. Uh, We're going to go into a whole thing about um, how to interview. Who's not great at interviewing? Cool. I'm going to give you my interviewing process, a two-interview process at the end um, that will help you find these people and weed these people out and help you avoid bad hires. Okay? Um, all right. They should take it from contract to close all the way through their top three job duties. Number one, LP2's top three job duties. Number one, all loans close on time. Super simple. We measure that by... Final docs and final number to the client, two business days before closing. Okay? Uh, who knows what sliding in the home plate is? It's closing at 4. I got it there at 3.55. It's on time. Right? We don't like that. So we want docs and final numbers to the client, two business days. So if it's closing Friday morning at 9 a.m., it has to be there Wednesday. And the final numbers. So you got to get the package to the title. I mean, I don't know how everybody's company's working different, but the, the, the client needs to know their final number. And the, the uh, docs have to be at title two business days. Uh, number two, they have to be a master of customer service. Master of customer service. 
We measure that by one client, uh, one CCR current client referral, and ninety and ninety five percent five star surveys. Yep. So master of customer service, one CCR per month. So one current client referral per month. So they should be getting referrals from clients. Uh, and they should also be getting 95%, either if you do a 10-star survey or a 5-star survey, 95% of your survey should come back good. Job number three is problem solve. They handle 95% of all issues without involving you. So job duty number three is they are problem solvers. Um, if they bring you a question, right, if they... Who's ever had a, a, a processor, LP2, bring them a file and say, hey, man, there's a problem in this file and hand it to you? I used to let that happen, right? They are not allowed to do that now unless they say, hey, this is the problem. These are the two or three possible solutions. I'm stuck. I've checked with the underwriter already, and I wanted to run this by you, okay? So they have to, anytime they bring a problem to you, they have to have suggested solutions, so push back. Whenever they ask you a question, say, that's a great question. What do you think? Hey, Brian, I don't understand the debt to income, man. It's like 57%. It's not taken anymore. You know, it was submitted. It was fine. And now it's out of whack. That's a great question. What do you think? What's, this, what's the solution? So help them become problem solvers. By the way, just guys, write that down. One of the best ways to train and empower your team is instead of being the fixer, have them trained to think, when I come to you, don't come to me with, I'm not sure what to do. Come to me with a suggested solution. It's the best way to train your team. They will eventually get to the point where they know that they're not going to come to you unless they've come up with a, a, a possible solution. And guess what? 70, 80% of the time, they're going to figure it out on their own. Guys, when you're gone, they figure it out. You're on vacation, they don't bug you on the DTI. They figure it out. But because they can knock on your door and you'll do it for them, they do it, right? So, yeah, and never solve a problem in a vacuum, okay? Who has to make the tough call when the appraisal comes in short, the realtor's upset, and you're like, all right, man, just give me the file and I'll do it in my office. You shut the door, right? Have them listen to you do it. Have them listen to you do it over and over. Hey, it's a tough call. The LP2 can't handle it. Make the call. Have them take notes. After every call, you have them ask you a question and tell you what they learned, and pretty soon they'll know the little word tracks. They'll know how to talk to people and they'll just they'll be able to do it themselves. OK, so never solve a problem without somebody watching you solve the problem so that they can do it next time. Repeat that statement again, too. So after the call, they should ask you a question and tell you what they learned. That makes them pay attention. Right. That's a home run. Leadership developments. That skill alone will probably make you 50 grand a year, if not more. Yeah. So just last week, and this is an LP one question, but um, I had, you know, my LP1 who's amazing. She had a client that just would not give her the app, right? So I said, hey, I'll make the call. And I talked to him, uh, and I got the app. And afterwards, I told her, I said, hey, what did you learn? Like, oh, yeah, you said this. And he was, you know, he had talked to Quicken and, you know, didn't want his credit pull because he thought it was going to kill his credit. He had 800 credit score. Might go down to 799, but you'll be just fine, right? So having her listen to me do that and ask me a question and tell me what she learned Next time, she'll be able to better overcome that objection. Make sense? All right, guys. So after you have the top three, again, it's all loans close on time, master of customer service, and problem solve. Print those out, laminate them, and hang them in your LP2's office. Will they know their top three job duties? Right? Frame them. Do whatever you want to. But they should know, I've got to close on time. 
I've got to be a master of customer service and I've got to problem solve. And then when they're not problem solving, you say, hey, job number three, you got to do that. That's your top three job duty. Guys, what they do for you, they chase all conditions and make sure the loans are on track. Uh, you still do your own Tuesday updates. OK, that is a sales opportunity. Right. When you get to 20 loans a month, 25 loans a month, 30 loans a month, uh, I think it's still a great idea to continue doing your Tuesday updates. But at that point, I think 20 loans a month is where the course says you can delegate that. But you're giving up that sales opportunity when you do it. So it, as long as you can do it, do your own Tuesday updates. Uh, I do have a Tuesday update checklist on the book in page one, uh, 145. So guys, what I want you to do, just look at it. Um, it has the six steps at the top. These are the six steps that you should follow. They're also the six steps that your LP2 should follow if they do your, uh, your Tuesday updates. The thing I love about it, in the box in the right-hand side, it says anytime they're talking to them, they have to use the loan officer's name twice. Okay? So when the processor LP2 calls, they should say, hey, Bill, I was uh, talking to Brian this morning. He wanted me to uh, make sure that I updated you today and that you knew that we needed that bank statement. You know, Brian, it's super important for him that we stay on track. So if they use Brian's name twice, they feel like Brian's hands are all over the file, right? So you got to train your LP2s when they talk to the client to use your name. That way they feel like you're involved in the file all the time. Does that make sense? So you can take that Tuesday update checklist. Uh, if you want a hard copy or a soft copy of it, it should be um, when you do the QR code and you can download it and use it yourself. Um, we do have a weekly pipeline meeting, too. So every week with all my LB2s, I sit down and I go through every loan that's closing that's, that's been in the pipeline. And they have to tell me exactly what's going on. We do it Monday afternoon. Why do we do it Monday afternoon? Be ready for Tuesday updates, right? If you're doing your job... And you're a good loan officer, you're a high-producing loan officer, you do not know what's going on with your files. That's a great thing. If you, the ones you know what's going on with is the one that the appraisal came in short and the income's messed up. And then you know what's going on with it because there's a problem. But Monday afternoon, you need to get an update. So Tuesday morning, you can do your Tuesday updates. Okay, so Monday afternoon, we do that at 2.30. Uh, uh, also, guys, when you're doing that, get on the timelines early. The biggest thing I've learned is if you stay on the timelines early, you'll be on the timeline at the end. If you wait to the end and two days before, that's when you find out there's a problem. So start tracking timelines. All our loans have to be submitted 14 days before closing. And what people do is like, hey, we're only talking about the loans closing the next week. And you forget the loans closing in two weeks and everything gets behind. So in that Tuesday pipeline meeting, or I'm sorry, Monday afternoon pipeline meeting, go through that and make sure you're on track um, for the pipeline. Why don't we, let's do this. We, we could talk all day long about it, but we really want to hear what you guys want to hear about an LP2. So what we want to do is take two minutes at your table, come up with your best question that you want to ask us that you think would be the most impactful for everybody else about the LP2 role. Anything goes, okay? So who has a really good question from your table? Raise your hand. Uh, what percentage of the day should an LP2 be involved in sales activities? What percentage of the day should an LP2? Yeah, do they have any sales responsibility other than TCNRs? Other, yeah, other than talking to the client and taking great care of them. That's it. Their job is not sales. My, 
help me through, I guess, my processor. My yes. processor barely has enough time today to process the loans, let alone take the application, do the pre approval, and all that sort of. Is it going to a model now where someone's supposed to be doing all of it? Yeah, so LP1 is going to. So his question is Does this LP2 and processor also take applications? You don't have time to do that. So that's your LP1, which we're going to talk about next. Yep. How much did you pay to your LP2? Depends on the market. Um, you know, anywhere from. To get a good LP2, and I'm in Nashville, it's going to be low, low end on 40, up to 70, or more with bonuses and things. In this market that we're in, um, how, how quickly should we be getting from contract to clear to close, in your opinion? Is that eight business days, 10 business days, 15 business days to be competitive with the competition that we have in our market now? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's your market. I mean, just in general, like against online lenders, you know, they're touting. We have all, all sorts of lenders saying we're going to close within 12 days. Is that an LP2 issue or is that a company issue? No, an LP2. Like, that's her, that's her job, right? So how contract many days to close. How many days do you feel like contract to clear to close for you? Well, I mean, we can close them in 14 days or less. That's a, you know, I wouldn't want to do that every time. Uh, but if somebody brings me a rush and we need to close it in two weeks, we can't make that happen. But you don't want to do that to your team. You want to keep it like, hey, and it takes 10 days to get the inspections and all that stuff. Most agents are still writing 25 and 30 day contracts, which is easy. And you should have that clear to close a week ahead of time easy. So, What's the best way to tell your clients during the handoff phase when they go under contract to the LP2 that your LP2 is now their point of contact, their person, yeah, great question. So how do and this this really addresses one of the concerns that somebody had about like I'm stepping out, people are going to be like I oh, I'm not important to you know anymore. Here's the thing, the reason that this class is called Doctor Nurse is because what we want to do is I want you to literally think about it like a, an experience when you go in and you you talk to the doctor and you talk to the nurse, right? So the way that I would treat that is when I'm introducing. A team member to my referral partners. When I'm introducing a team member to my clients, I'm introducing the team up front. We are the Brian Kluke team. This is what I do best. I have an expert on my team who is my LP2. Her name is Chris. She is a rock star. Her job is to take you from contract to closing. Her job is to take care of all those details. The reason Chris is doing that job is, number one, she's a lot better at it than I am because she's like a detail freak, I'm great as a consultant. I'm great at helping you structure the loan that's the best fit for you. But she's better at taking care of all the details because here's the thing, what's your name? Sam? All right, so Sam, here's the thing. If I were doing everything, think about this for a minute, if you're my client and you're under contract and I have four other people that I'm doing consultations with today, who's taking care of your file? If a problem comes up. Nobody. That's why Chris is there. Chris is the expert at simply handling only those files that are under contract and making sure you get to the closing table. She's better at it than I am. It's edifying and uplifting. We delegate to what? Elevate. Elevate. I'm elevating my team as I introduce my team to everybody, my referral partners. And you always want to just explain to them so that they can see how it benefits them. Your fear is, oh, they think I'm not going to be involved. If you bring it to somebody and you say, the reason I'm bringing this person in is that so that I can serve you and my clients at a higher level, now it's the opposite of your fear, right? Does that answer the question? Um, 
being that you know it's a smaller team class, so company still has our company still has like processors in place. So can that LP two help on the front end as far as like gathering docs on the front end to make sure we're on top of our pre approvals, or are they by the book not supposed to be involved at all? Well, if you only have an LP two, then absolutely. Okay. They're just you know if you if you only have one person, they kind of do both. Like when I first hired my person, there was an LP two. She did LP1 work as well because I didn't have an LP1. Um, and if your company has company or corporate processing, that's just going to free your LP2 up to continue doing the kind of the old model and should be able to do a lot more files. Okay. Yes. All hands on deck. The smaller the team, the more each person is going to have to do. The bigger the team, the more specialty is created. One more question on LP2. Uh, on a direct submit LP2, are they disclosing and do they have to be licensed? In my company, they don't have to be licensed. Um, and no, they. if you only have an LP2, I would have them trained to disclose. Like you sell the terms, but they can do the disclosures. Um, but our LP2s don't. We do it, the loan officer does it, or uh, an experienced LP1 does the disclosures. Yeah. Our LP1s have to be uh, licensed at our company. We're, so we're, we're the same. Yeah. yeah. All right, we good on LP2? Yeah, let's okay. do LP1. All right, so let's, let's talk LP1. So what I want you guys to do in terms of LP1 is go to page, we are on page 138. So what I want you to think about here is you've gotten to the point where you've got an LP2 on your team. This is, this is like the next critical hire. And this is where I think a lot of people get stuck and they get screwed up. Um, the LP1... The LP1 has, these are the, their big responsibilities. It says manage the calendar, incoming leads and lead tracker, and then assist the LP2 and the team leader. Yep. On page 138, top three duties. Manage the calendar, incoming leads and lead tracker, LP2 and team leader assist. What I want you guys to think about as it relates to the LP1 is this. Their number one high-level overview is to put you... As the, sales, as the salesperson on your team, in a proactive versus reactive position. Write that down. Proactive versus reactive. Proact- reactive is the phone rings and who answers it? You do. Proactive is the phone rings and your LP1 answers it. Oh my gosh, I can't do that. They don't know what to say. Re- what, are, what did our brains tell us earlier? It's a skill that you learned that you can train them. Okay? They're taking your incoming calls. Just think of how many hours a week and how much higher your IQ is because you're not constantly being interrupted by incoming phone calls, by incoming leads. Right? It's a huge piece of, that, of the puzzle. Here's a couple. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to these Components, and then I'm going to give you a couple tactical hacks. Okay? Incoming calls. And I'm going back to the days when I first had my first LP1. The first thing I did is I set my phone up in a way, and I had a landline phone at the time. I set it up where my phone rang at my desk and my LP1's desk. How tempted was I to answer that call? Like, Barry. Get out of the way! The phone's ringing! It's mine! How many of you use your cell phone more than 50% of the time for all of your calls? Okay? Here's what you need to do. And you're all going to push back. I know you're going to push back because I did it. Ah, 
I'll, I'll, I'll follow some of what the core tells me to do, but I'm not going to do that one because nobody can do that one as good as me. Chris and I have both done that, been that path a million times. So here's what you get. I mean, literally, if you called my cell phone right now, you'd get, hi, this is Brian Clute. Sorry, Mr. Call. If you need assistance, please call my assistant, my LP1, Cheryl, at 414-409-3393. She can set up a time for us to chat or get in my calendar. Otherwise, leave me a message, and I will get back to you before 6 p.m. tonight. Okay? What happens when, when that call comes in? If you get that voicemail, what are you likely going to do? Yeah, she's going to call Cheryl. And if I do get a voicemail, what do I do with it? No, I don't call it back. No, actually, what I will do is if it's a, call, if it's a lead call, I'm going to forward it to who? It's a habit. It's a habit that I'm creating. It's not easy. Your brain will push against it with every ounce of effort. So that's, that's, the, that's the, the hack as it relates to the call, okay? Um, the other thing that your LP is doing is your LP is managing the incoming leads. Now, the key word is managing, not converting. The LP1 is not a salesperson. The LP1's job is to assist you. My number one objective when a lead calls in, my number one objective, anybody want to take a swing at it? Lead comes in, what's the number one objective I have, whether it's me talking to the person or somebody else? Get a face-to-face appointment. I want that person sitting in front of me. Statistics say, and my stats prove it, that if I get a borrower, if I get an applicant in front of me in my office to do a professional consultation, I don't care if they've talked to somebody else over the phone. If they meet with me, it's game over. It's my number one objective. Okay? Hold on. So, so what's going to happen is they are going to manage my calendar. They're the ones that are getting things on the schedule. So I think what we want to do here is um, so we talked about managing the calendar. We talked about managing the leads that are coming in. Uh, and I know you are all at wanting to know, well, how does this happen? Like, who's calling the lead back and how much time do I spend on it versus my assistant? Right, Aaron? Like, you guys have danced with it back and forth, okay? Here's what I would say, and then I want to hear how you guys play this out. Yep. If a lead comes in, again, I'm not going to answer the call. My LP1 is going to answer the call. My assistant is going to be trained in a way to direct the client through a process. Direct the client through a process. Remember, most of us are just reactionary. When we answer the phone, we're just professionally not trained on how to just answer their questions. Is that an accurate statement? Oh, we're really good at responding to the questions. But what I want to do is, is, is this. If the client's calling in, they think they know what they're doing. They don't. We're the professionals. Our number one objective is to guide them through a process. So, you know, Chris calls in, and I'm not going to get into the scripting too much, but I do want you guys to look at page 144. Yeah. 144 is the, this is basically the process that my LP1 would take when an incoming lead would come in. They take the buyer through the process. Great, Chris, you referred in from Jody Smith from Remax. It's going to build a little rapport. My job as, you know, Chris is assisting another client right now. 
my job is to get the process started. The first thing I want to do is I want to set up a time to get you on Chris's calendar. How does Wednesday look? How does Thursday look? Right? Her assumption is that this is the, the buyer, if we direct them, will follow our process and follow our lead. The only reason we don't think that they won't is because we have what? BS. If you tell the people this is what the next step is, they will follow it more often than not. Okay? Now, will 100% of those borrowers just go, yes, okay, I'll come in on Wednesday and, right? No! They're going to get some pushback, right? So here's the hack. Here's the trick. Between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, every single day, you sit down with your LP1 and you say, which leads called in today? Which leads did you successfully, were you successfully able to schedule to meet with me and take them through the process? And which ones weren't you able to do this? They're like, oh, here's two leads that came in. I got them set up. We got an application online. Everything's good to go. I sent them a needs checklist. Okay, what about the two that didn't? Well, this guy pushed back. He said he just wanted a raid over the phone. The other guy's like, you know, I just, I'm too busy. Hey, hey, no problem. Come on into my office. So Chris comes into my office at 4.30. And what I do is I call the lead. Hey, Stacy. Hey, man, it's Brian Clute. I know that you talked to Chris earlier today. Hey, you came from, and I'm going to be the one to do what? I'm going to close. If my LP1 can do it, if they can get them on the calendar, do I need to be the one closing? No. I'm going to call that lead and just say, hey, thank you so much. But if Chris is able to get them on my calendar, I don't need to do it. If they won't follow the process and be directed, then we'll do it at 4.30. And by the way, at 4.30, who's with me listening to how I do it? And guess what? Over time, who's going to sound a lot more like me than him? That doesn't make sense. He's going to sound a lot more like me eventually because he's heard me say it so many times. And, and real quick, guys, I think it's our ego that thinks that the clients want to talk to us. And it really is. I had to get over that. Clients don't care. They want the answer. That's why they go to Quicken, because they think they can get the answer quickly, right? Right. And here's the other thing. And Eventually, you will get to a point where you recognize this. Not everybody should be your client. If somebody does not want to do business your way, there are enough people out in the world that will do business your way. But here's the thing. You can only get there when you have put yourself in a position where you're generating so many leads that you can say no. Right? Yeah. You have to trust. Here's the thing, guys. We've been there for seven years plus. And what I'll tell you about the core and every, everything we've done is that everybody that's been standing at the edge of this cliff saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, has jumped, that has jumped, their parachute opens. You see the people on the ground, nobody's dead. <laughs> Okay, it works. You have to trust the process. I'm going to give you guys one pointer on LP2, LP1. So who do you think needs to be the strongest person? If you have two people, you have an LP1 and LP2, who needs to be the stronger of the two at pre-approving and like knowing loans, in your opinion? LP2. Everybody said LP2? I believe LP1, right? Who screws up a deal? Who runs DO incorrectly, doesn't ask the commission question, um, doesn't figure out their 1099 W2, right? So deals get messed up when your LP1 does not know their job, right? So a pre-approval letter goes out, 
and they think they can buy a $400,000 house. The LP2s don't mess up deals. Now, they, ha- they can close them late. They can make a client mad. But your LP1, in my opinion, needs to be really strong so they can pre-approve people and you can trust them. If you can't trust them, you're going to end up doing their job over. Okay? So that was a big thing that was brought up to me six years ago. And I hired a strong, my strongest people have always been LP1s because they can, I can trust them. They send out a pre-approval letter, I know it's good. Does that make sense? Does that help? Um, guys, I would like to go over, would it be helpful if I went over my hiring process? I made more bad hires. I don't know how many he's had. I've got a lot. So I've learned a lot from it. So, guys, my hiring process, um, you always have to be recruiting and creating a virtual bench. Okay, who knows what a virtual bench is? Bench. Bench on the... Uh, <laughs> a virtual uh, people that are ready to step in, right? Substitutions. You never know when somebody's going to come and, and their husband's moving to Texas and they got to leave, right? Or something's not working. So you always need to be recruiting people. Okay, so keep that in mind. I will tell you we use DISC. We use Manesh. It's 150 bucks. Manesh will look at the DISC test and tell you, hey, this person should be good in this position. Or, hey, you're trying to hire them to be an LP1 and they need to talk to clients. They're not going to like talking to clients. Manesh yes. Manesh is here with the core. His name is Manesh Baxi. And um, you can get his information from the core. He's been the DISC testing guy, the personality testing guy for the core for as long as I've been here. Mm-hmm. And no, I probably cannot spell that correctly. Uh, also, guys, when you're about to interview somebody, check their Facebook. Right? They're coming in. You're going to interview them. Look at their Facebook page. If they're doing a bunch of stuff that uh, is you know, going to be disruptive in your office, just know that. So first interview. This is what I learned. I learned this from several different coaches. But the first thing you want to do is sell them first on your team. Your team vision, why they would want to work for you. Right? Uh, why you're different. You know, For us, we have a family atmosphere at work. So we sell them on like, hey, this is a great place to work. I truly believe my office is a great place to work. And I want them to know that. So you never tell somebody, uh, when you're talking about rate, you never tell somebody your rate or your price until you show them your value. Right? So you want to show them your value up front before you get into what the salary and all that's going to be. Okay? So always sell them first. Um, and then I ask open-ended questions. Okay? So page, page 143. I ask lots of open-ended questions. This is all the questions that I ask. So just real quick, you know, what are the top two or three things that you want in a company? Uh, the one I really like, where do you see yourself in one year? The next one right after that, where do you see yourself in five years? Okay? I've had people tell me, in five years, I want to open my own business and be a realtor. And they're interviewing to be a processor for me. So that interview was over. I didn't kick them out of the office, but effectively, like, you don't want to be here long term. So ask these type of questions. Um, so go through that and kind of know that. Then down at the bottom, there are some, um, some technical questions, like how much is needed for down payment on an FHA purchase. Guys, you will be surprised how many people have 10 years experience processing and will tell you 20% down. Because they came from a bank and they don't have to know anything, unfortunately. So ask those technical questions. There's like 10 of them. If they get eight or nine of them right, they probably know what they're doing. If they don't get them right, that's not a good sign, okay? Um, so we do the rapid-fire knowledge questions. I had them take a 50-question uh, test, so it's not in here. Multiple choice, you can get it from the core. Uh, Summit Funding has it. I've made tweaks to it, but have them take a knowledge test, okay? So that's kind of the first interview. I also always ask them the last question, which is on here. What salary range are they expecting? Okay? 
Always ask them that. And they will tell you usually what they're making now. And that gives you a place to know if you're going to be in range. Okay? That's the first interview. If they pass, we have them come back for a second interview. Has anybody ever hired somebody on the first interview? I'll hold my hand up. That's a mistake. I promise. Okay? So, on the second interview, we have them come in at the start time that we start. Okay? So, why is it important to have them come in? If you start at 8.30, the second interview should start at 8.30. Why is that important? Right. See if they're going to be on time. Traffic. A lot of times we have interviews at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. How's traffic at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? It's not bad in my market. Like, you can get here in 20 minutes. And then they come at 8.30, like, oh, man, this is going to take me 50 minutes every morning. That's a problem. Okay? So you never want to hire somebody with over a 30, maybe 45-minute commute at the most because they're passing 20 shops on the way to your office, and an hour commute gets old. Okay? So you want to make sure that they understand. Also, guys, number two on that, or when they come in for that, that interview, I have them shadow a team member. I want them to know what they're going to be doing before I hire them. Also, I get buy-in from my team. So I have other team members interview them on that second, that second interview. Um, they do a test file. We have a semi-complicated self-employed borrower with all the social security numbers marked out. And we give it to them and say, hey, what do you see on this file? What would you ask the client for? And there's like a list. We have the master, right? We don't give them masters. Like 13 things that they should find. If they do a great job, like this person knows what they're doing. So you've got to hire people that have skill level, especially when you're hiring at the beginning. Now, once you have three or four people that are awesome, you can train somebody from the ground up. Um, then, number three, guys, and this is a game changer. Have them email you a summary of their experience so far with your company. This is their second interview with you, okay? So have them sit in front of a computer, not off their phone, and say, hey, this is my email address. Here's my card. I just want you to email me a summary of how things have gone for you so far in your two interviews. What does that tell you? Yeah, if they're engaged, if they care, what they think about you so far, but really what it tells you, can they write an email? Can they spell? Do they put periods at the end of sentences or do they write a paragraph with just, you know, I've had people that couldn't do that. Have them do that. Yeah, have them email you from their personal email uh, just their, what their experience has been so far with your company. So sit them down in front of a computer, never from their phone because then... If you're typing with your thumbs, there's an excuse for typos, right? So give them a computer. Say, hey, log into your Gmail account and email me you know, what you thought so far. And leave them alone. Give them 10, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, then last, guys, have your team go to lunch with them. Like have the top, you know, if you have another person on your team or if you don't, have another loan officer. Get a second opinion from somebody else. Uh, for me, I have team members and they will open up more at coffee or lunch. Okay, so they come in like, hey, you've done your second interview, go with my top two people and get to know them. And they'll, they'll open up a lot more and be more open and personal out in that than they're going to be with the boss. So you guys all know that they know the answers to our questions, right? Are you a team player? Nobody's ever said no. So you've got to be a little bit, you've got to dig in and find out, is this person going to be a good fit for you, okay? Um, if they pass that, I've got one or two more little things. Call, who has ever put down a reference on their resume or ever interviewed for a job and put down a reference? Who's ever put down a reference that would give them a bad reference? Nobody's going to give you a bad reference, it's your reference. So, hey, I love the fact that you got some references here. Hey, who was your last boss at your last company or your last, uh, last loan officer that you work for? That's who you want to talk to. And ask that person this question on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm looking at hiring Susie here to be a, an LP2. She's going to be taking 
uh, the file from contract to close. Got to talk to the clients. Got to make sure it closes on time. Got to have lots of communication and, and do a good job. Hey, on a scale of one to ten, how well do you think she can do that? Ask the past loan officer or their past direct boss that question. Anything less than a nine is a massive red flag, right? Because people are really nice. A seven's like a five. Okay, so don't call the references. You can, but that's fine. But don't don't put a lot of stock in the references. Call somebody that does what we do. That'll give you a more honest opinion. And I love to talk to the loan officer, right? The boss or the HR may give you the the standard company line, but a loan officer tell you, man, this person's great. It's awesome. Uh, or no. And the second question I ask, if given the opportunity to rehire this person, would you? Okay. If given the opportunity, would you hire, rehire this person? If they say yes, that's a great sign. If they say no, don't hire the person. I got two, two quick hacks on, on top of that. Um, number one, ask the person on a scale of one to ten, how organized are you? Oscar, what's your answer? Huh? On a scale of one to ten, what? Seven. He's a liar. It's a four. Here's why. Anybody who's super organized is going to say I'm a 14. They'll always give you a number higher than 10. The second thing is they'll tell you a story. The story will reveal something about them that's OCD that other people make fun of them. Like, I organized my spike, spice rack when my wife was on vacation. That was actually me, by the way. <laughs> I am a 14. Okay, second thing. When you, when you interview, have somebody on your team go out into the parking lot and look in their car. Oh, my. They actually live there. Not a good hire. Uh, third, real quick. <laughs> we talk about hiring LP2s. One of my best sources for LP2s is finding credit union and bank loan officers that just can't sell. They're great with people. They're great technicians. Everybody wants to go after maybe a processor, but those are great people to find for LP2s. Uh, LP1's great source for that, for me, has been everybody I've ever hired as an LP1 has had zero experience, but they're good at engaging with people. My LP1 right now that's been with me for seven years was a receptionist at a dentist office. Okay? The hack that you give us for the phone is good. What do you do for email? Oh, what do I do for e email? Yeah. I actually have my LP1 have my email open as well. My... Now, that's like the, the advanced LP1. That's a tougher one. But get to the point where your LP1 can answer most of them. And remember that 30-minute time that we do at the end of the day? I have a 30-minute block of time in the morning that I sit down with my LP1, and I say, what emails were you not able to respond to, coaching her on what she could respond to? And then what leads do we still have to continue to follow up on that haven't been closed? It's constant training. Answer your question? Cool. Jeff? So I've heard kind of like two different descriptions of LP1 and LP2 because yours you hire with no mortgage experience. But, Chris, you made a comment earlier that your LP1s are your strongest on the team in terms of knowing how to pre-qualify and review docs. Yep. So, I mean, is it sounds like the positions can be blended. I get confused on that. Like who should be the one okay. that can review the income docs and issue pre-qualified, so that type of in stuff? The, in the core small team, your LP2 is managing contract to close and also running pre-approvals. Okay? Your LP1 is not a skilled LP1 in terms of the knowledge base. When your team starts to grow, you can have a dedicated LP2 that's doing just the pre-approvals. Oh, I'm sorry, the LP1 that's doing pre-approvals as well. Yeah. Let's talk later on that. There's a lot of nuances. You mentioned the LP2s and syncing up, um, and we talked about distractions early on. So when they're working on things and we want them to bring us solutions to whatever the issue may be, do you have a set time in the day that they bring that back so it's not every time there's an issue, there's an interruption? 
Well, if they're handling 95% of problems, it shouldn't be often anyway. Um, and I don't have a set time like, hey, at 2.30, you can bring me stuff. It's just like if you can't. So in my office, my LP2s, they go to the processing manager to get the problem solved. If she can't solve it, she's going to the underwriter to get it solved. So really, the only the person that can come to me is the processing manager. Okay, so, you know, you can do that. But then our days are crazy. Like a client wants to meet me at two thirty. I'm not going to leave it open. So, you know, I might have an opportunity to answer a question. You're going to fill that anyway. And they have to catch you in between with questions. Listen, guys, so much information on LP1 and LP2s. This is a journey. You guys did extremely well today. I just want to say thank you. Give it up for Chris Haynes. Give it up for Brian Clue. Last but not least, you guys know that the mantra, right? Delegate to elevate. elevate. We will be here tonight. Talk to us. Pick our brains. Get everything out of your head, out of our head. You've been listening to the Core's Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.macortraining.com.